amazing is it to see people saying, I am not ashamed of Jesus? Aren't you, isn't that encouraging to you? They're saying, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of my Lord. And it's a privilege and honor to speak to you today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Book of Romans, chapter 12. If you're turning there in your Bible, it's the sixth book in the New Testament, right after the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. Then we come to Romans and what is widely considered to be the most complete expression of the Apostle Paul's theology in all of the New Testament. And this book of Romans that Paul wrote essentially centers on three themes. And one is God's righteousness, his holiness. Two is man's sinfulness. And thirdly, talks about God's eternal plan to save sinners. And what we're going to do today is try to answer a question that I know you have asked yourself at some point in your life, as I certainly have. And the question is this, what is our purpose for living? Why do we exist? You ever thought about that before? And what we're going to uncover in these next few minutes together is this truth, that human beings are created to worship God. Human beings are created to worship God. The Westminster Confession of 1646, based on the authority of Scripture, came to this conclusion about the purpose for human beings. And it's that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower or a God-hater. It doesn't matter if you come to church every, day, every time the doors are open or you've never been to church in your life. It doesn't matter what you think about God. The reality is for every single person, whether they realize it or not, their purpose for being created was to worship God and pursue His design. And we're going to dig into one verse in particular that's going to help us better understand why we are supposed to worship God, what it means to worship Him, and how we can worship God and express our worship to Him in a way that honors Him and pleases Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to hear and understand your word today. And may the power of your truth change our lives from the very inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. In Romans 12.1, Paul gives us an understanding of worship that we can follow. And it says this, if you have your Bible or it's on the screen as well, Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And right here in the text, the first thing we notice, point number one, is that true God worship requires a response to the gospel. True God worship requires a response to the gospel. What do we mean by this term gospel? Inherently, the word means good news. But the fact that there exists good news also implies that there must be some kind of bad news. And until we really understand how bad the bad news is for our lives, only then can we truly embrace and understand the amazing goodness of the gospel message and what it means for you and what it means for me. When Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, what he's essentially saying when he says, therefore, is he is referring to the entire argument that he has been making from Romans 1 all the way up through Romans 11. And what we learn in those chapters is that God is perfect in every way. The bad news is that you and I are sinners, and God is righteous in his wrath against sinners. Who is a sinner, you may ask? A sinner is every single person who's ever lived 
besides Christ. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Many people will admit that they're a sinner, but they don't really necessarily understand what that means. God has a standard. He is a holy God whose standard is his own perfect glory. And sin is anything that falls short of God's glory and his perfect standard. It's any thought, word, deed, or action that remotely goes against God or falls short of his standard. Let's look at this verse together. Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. What that essentially means is that Adam blew it for all of us. Okay, um, you guys know the story. Adam and Eve, the first people created in the Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. They were living in paradise and full fellowship with God. But because they chose to go against God and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thinking that that was going to make them like God, what it essentially did is it cut off their relationship from God. And because of Adam, every single person for all time has and is born with a sin nature. We cannot escape it. We cannot fix ourselves up. We can't overcome it by our own good works. And we can't erase it by attempting some kind of behavior modification. We are dead in our sin. It doesn't matter how many good things we could ever do. When you have even one sinful thought that races through your mind, as seemingly as insignificant as that may seem, the reality is there is never enough good works that we could ever do to make up or overcome that one sin when we are standing face to face with a holy God. I often have a habit of wearing clothes as long as they pass the smell test. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? I'm sure you guys can relate. You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. We know who you are, all right? Um, I often have a habit of wearing clothes that pass the smell test, and a lot of times I will hastily try to put on my clothes for work or church, whatever it may be, and as long as it smells okay and it's not, there's not too many wrinkles on it, it looks okay and presentable, I'll throw it on and I'll wear it and I'll go out my door. Well, one day... I was trying to, I was about to walk out the door. My wife stopped me. She was here in the service last night. She stopped me and she said, you're really not going to wear that shirt out, are you? And I said, what are you talking about? It's fine. It smells fine. It looks okay. Um, she's like, there's a stain on your shirt. And sure enough, I looked down and there was a small stain on my shirt. And uh, she's like, you can't go out. You can't go out in that shirt. It has a stain on it. Well, I looked at it and I realized, you know, it's not really that bad. Like, it's just a small stain. I, I have a sweater in the car. I can put it on. I can cover it up and it'll be fine. Well, I should have heeded my wife's advice. So husbands, listen to your wives. That's another story, another sermon for another time. But that entire day, I went to work and people stopped me periodically throughout the day and said, hey, I'm just looking out for you, but I just want you to know that there's a stain on your shirt. Like, dude, don't you know there's a stain on your shirt? You know, I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody trying to make eye contact with them. And all, all I see is they keep staring down at my shirt when I'm trying to talk to them because of the stain on my shirt. All right, so what's the point of that? The point is this. There was a small, seemingly insignificant stain on my shirt. The rest of me could have looked like a million bucks that day. But that one tiny little stain changed the, my entire appearance, the way people perceived me and the way people saw me. Isn't it kind of that way with sin too? Most of your life may look great. Your life may mostly be marked by good deeds and great works. But that one sinful stain on your life, as small as you feel like it may be, is enough to eternally separate you from God. 
So what is our deserved result of our sin? Well, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And here is the good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that sentence had end, ended at the very beginning for the wages of sin is death and that was it, it would be game over for us. But the amazing news, the amazing good news for us is that God provides salvation out of his love for all people through Jesus Christ. Jews, Gentiles, who in that context in biblical times were anyone who wasn't a Jew. All races, all ethnicities, every person of every nation can be saved and come to God and have a relationship with him because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You hear that today? Let's look at this passage, Romans 5, 6 through 9. It's on the screen. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our sin— Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, which essentially just means we've been forgiven, made right, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God would have been right to punish each one of us to eternal torment in hell, but in his mercy, in his love, he lovingly chose not to give us what we deserved— Instead, he took the punishment for our sins himself by sending his own son, the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And this is what Paul is building up to in Romans 12.1, our passage today, when he says, Therefore, brothers, I appeal to you in view of God's mercy. God's mercy is shown in him, giving his son Jesus and placing our sin, transferring our sin into Christ's account, so to speak. And in return, he puts Christ's righteousness into our account. And anyone who confesses, says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans ten nine. Listen to me today. What saves you is not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus perfect church attendance. It's not Jesus plus throwing a couple bucks in the offering plate. What saves you is faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin and the assurance of eternal life with God. Hear me today. What saves you is faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sin and the assurance of eternal life with God forever. One of my favorite preachers, Dr. Tony Evans. Maybe you've heard of him before. He tells this story that can kind of help us understand a little better what we're talking about today. It's a story of a dog who loved its master. The master was just a little teenage boy, but everywhere this boy went, that dog was right there, inseparable with his master. When that boy would go to bed at night, that dog was right there in the bed, wagging his tail, fully obedient, inseparable to this boy. Next morning, when the boy would go down to eat breakfast in the morning, that dog would be right there wagging his tail. When the boy was waiting for the school bus, that dog would be right there, right next to him, right by his side, 
The boy would get on the bus, the bus would take off, and that dog would chase that bus as far as he can until that bus had totally outpaced him. When the boy came home, that dog was right there, fully obedient, right next to the boy. Dinner time came that night. Sure enough, the dog was right there with that boy wagging his tail. Boy went to bed that night. The dog was back in the bed with him. He, didn't, he never wanted to leave his side. The next day came, and the next day came. Same thing happened. And how can a dog do that day in and day out for his little teenage master? It's because when that boy found the dog, it was wandering in the street. It was a mangy, unkempt mutt, and it was headed for sure disaster had that boy not saved him. If that dog had been caught by the dog catcher, he certainly would have been, wouldn't have been adopted. Instead, he would have been eradicated. However, this boy found that wandering mangy dog. He took it home. He washed it. He bathed it. He fed of all. He fed it. And most of all, he loved it. And it became apparent from that dog's tail that that dog never forgot it. Wherever that boy was, that dog was going to be there right next to him. Because it was evident that this dog never forgot where it had been when that boy found him. Some of us were wandering on a street called Sin. We were just mangy sinners left in the gutter somewhere. Some of us sinned and didn't think about it. Others of us sinned and it was on full display. We didn't even care. Some of us were secret sinners where we knew what we were doing, but we tried to keep it hidden. We tried to keep it private in the dark somewhere. But sure enough, if, if our sin would have ever been revealed, it would have been just as obvious that we were just as sinful as those people who had their sin on full display. Others of us were white-collar sinners, never necessarily committing sinful actions, but our mind was filled with sinful thoughts. The truth is, and if that's you today, you can testify to this, no matter what kind of sinner you were, God found you. The grace of God discovered you right where you were. You heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and he saved you. And my only question to you is this. Where would you be if God hadn't found you? If God hadn't picked you up? If he hadn't rescued you? Is your gratefulness evident in the way that you respond to your master? That leads us to point number two. True God worship requires giving your whole self to God. Looking back at the text, Romans 12, 1. Paul says, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In light of this amazing news of the gospel, as true God worshipers, we are to present our very bodies to God. And it doesn't necessarily just mean our flesh and bone and what people see on the outside. But what more Paul is getting at here is that your body is your very life. It's everything that makes you you. It's your inner man. It's your outer man, body and soul. Everything that makes a person alive, Paul is saying, should be given to God as an act of worship in response to what he has done for us, in response to his great mercy. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, it essentially just means this, that true God worship requires a person to live his or her life on the altar for God. It means doing what God commands. It means following his word. It means laying down our own will and laying down our agenda and taking up God's agenda and following God's will. 
For when we do that, we find something amazing that our lives become marked by true joy. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. How can a sinful person that deserves punishment and eternal separation from God be made holy and pleasing in his sight? Only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And what this doesn't mean is that when you become a Christian, you stop sinning altogether for the rest of your life. We all know that, right? But what it does mean is that for those who repent and believe and trust Christ as their Savior and Lord, their sins, all of their sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven in the sight of God. So when we're faced with God face to face, God doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see that stain on our shirt. What he sees is the blood of Christ that covers us, that cleanses us. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can have a hope of eternal life and a relationship with God. And lastly, he says, this act of surrendering to God is your spiritual worship. In a broad sense, this means giving your whole self to God as we talked about. But how do we live that out in our daily life? Every moment of every day is an opportunity to worship God or not. Nearly every choice we make is a worshiping decision. It's a worshiping choice to either worship God or worship something else. Think about it. What commands the most of your time, your energy, your resources? Oftentimes we can answer this question of what's, what we're worshiping, what's most valuable in our life by evaluating those three areas. Who or what is first in your life? This concept of sacrificing ourselves to God essentially means that in every moment of every day, we live with a desire to make much of God. Let me ask you this. At home, do you make much of God? At work, do you make much of God? At school, when you're driving down Route 70 and you're trying to get somewhere in a hurry and that idiot person cuts you off and all you want to do is roll your window down, yell up sending at them and put your middle finger up at them. Do you do that or do you approach a situation like that when you're inconvenienced or somebody does something that you don't like as a way to show grace and forgiveness and to make much of God? Here at church, do you approach corporate worship with a heart of thankfulness and adoration for God? Or is it just some religious duty that you feel like you have to do to check it off your list so that you can go on with the rest of your day and go on with the rest of your life? Are you living in complete surrender to God? Think about that. I'm going to close with this. The famous general, Douglas MacArthur, was meeting one of his foes, a Japanese general, and the stage was set for the Japanese general to surrender to Douglas MacArthur. The Japanese general sticks out his hand and as an act of surrender. Douglas MacArthur says, Sir, I cannot shake your hand until you surrender the sword that is at your side. I cannot, we cannot be friends until you give me your sword. Turn over your sword and then we'll shake hands. The truth is, for a lot of us, we try to shake God's hand while continuing to hold on to the sword of our own will. And God is saying, we cannot be in full fellowship with God until we surrender our sword, surrender our will to God and say, Lord, I give up. I'm giving my life to you. I've tried it my way. All that's left me is a mangy mess. 
And I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you every part of me. Come and change me. Have your way in me. And the amazing thing is that we can live like this through the grace of God and his power in our lives, not because of anything that we can do or our own energy. We can live with a worshipful heart and complete surrender to God. And it is in this surrender of our will and taking up God's will that we realize what the true purpose for our lives really is, the reason that we were created. When we wholly surrender to God as a living sacrifice, everything in our life takes on a deeper meaning. Worshiping God becomes something that we get to do, not something that we have to do or something that we just have to drudge through. When we surrender our will to God and pursue his purpose in our lives, we also gain an eternal perspective that this life here and now is just a very temporary vapor in light of eternity. But God gives us an eternal mindset. It changes our entire way of thinking. And we start living with the reality that everything that we are Everything that we have and every circumstance that we go through in our life is preparing us for eternity. So, to come back to the very beginning of our talk, what is the purpose of our life? What is our purpose in this life? And we've seen today that our purpose is ultimately to love God, to worship Him completely in response to what He has done for you and me. And when we do this, we experience true joy that the world can offer. We experience peace that we certainly weren't experiencing when we were lost in our sin. We experience contentment and we experience a freedom in life that we never thought was possible outside of Jesus Christ. And all of this is only possible through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's pray together. Your Lord, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful truth. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us a way for our sins to be forgiven. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room right now. Lord, that you would help us in every moment to make much of you, to honor you, to glorify you. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the king of everything. You are the creator and the sustainer of all things. And Lord, I pray right now, God, for those of us here in this room who aren't wholly surrendered to you, for those of us who are holding on to a part of our life that we don't want to give over to you, whether it may be because of lack of trusting in you or a fear. But Father, I pray for every single person here, including myself, Lord, that you would help us to be a people wholly surrender to you, living a life as a living sacrifice. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.